0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis. Genesis chapter 39. So as you know, I've got three daughters. My kids are growing up fast, and one of the things that <laughs> struck me as a as a startling realization recently was that They had never played Monopoly before. And I thought, I am failing as a dad if I've never facilitated my kids having an opportunity to play Monopoly. And so we played Monopoly, and you're probably all familiar with the game of Monopoly, the board game. I like the old traditional version. There's lots of specialty versions that have come out, and I've played those. I don't really like those. I like the the good old fashioned classic one. And you remember, you know, as you're moving your little pieces around around the board, that uh, the variety of spots that you could end up, you know, landing on, and one of them is Community Chest. And Community Chest, you remember, you you pick up a card, and there's there's the chance cards and the Community Chest cards, and and some of the cards are good, and some of them are bad. And so if you land on community chest and, and if you were to pick up this card, you probably recognize this one. This is the you see the go to jail card, right? Everybody knows what the rest of this card says. Go to jail, go directly to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect two hundred dollars. This is the go to jail card. The reason I'm showing you this today is kind of a to remind us of where we're at. Joseph, he's gone to jail, right? And his reason for going to jail in some ways it didn't seem to be any more it didn't seem to make any more sense than maybe us landing on the community chess pile and pulling the card. It wasn't anything that he had done wrong. It wasn't anything he had done bad. He just landed on the wrong spot. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he ends up going to jail because of what ends up happening with Potiphar's wife and the story that Potiphar's wife ends up telling Potiphar. So that's where we're picking up today. He is in jail, and uh, verse 22, if you look at chapter 39, verse 22 what does it say there? Somebody mind reading that one. So the one put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. So you hear that language and and he's put in charge. Joseph is put in charge. Have we seen this happen yet so far in Joseph's life? We have. It's the same kind of thing that happened in Potiphar's house joseph was recognized as being a capable young man and he's put in charge of potiphar's house and then that all fell apart and now he's in jail and the jailer seems to recognize that he is a capable young man, and he's put in charge as well. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say a capable young man, when I say young man, we should probably talk about his age a little bit right now. He was, just to give you a a little basis or a little background of of where we're at, he was sold by his brothers to the people that ended up taking him to Egypt. He was sold at 17. Today, we're going to look at something that is going to happen in his life when he's uh, approximately 28 Okay, so from 17 to 28, he's been 11 years in Potiphar's service and in jail, and we don't know how that divides up. We don't know if it's been nine years in Potiphar's service and now he's been in jail for two years or if he's been 11 years in Potiphar's service and he's only been here for two nights. We don't know how it divides up. But one way or the other, 11 years since he's been sold and sent off to Egypt and has been enslaved in Egypt. So you would think 11 years, bummer, that's quite a drag, you know, to be spending 11 years in captivity, if you will, in custody, uh, not free, not able to do your own thing. But we've seen that he's... Been able to keep a pretty positive attitude in going through that. You know, in being imprisoned, Joseph is not the only person that we find in the Bible <laughs> that's been imprisoned. And most of the characters that you look at that you find that are imprisoned in the Bible. We would look at them and we go, "Man, what did he do to deserve that?" You know uh, Jeremiah the prophet is another one that comes to mind. Jeremiah was imprisoned. Uh, you also had Samson. Remember that okay, Samson made some bad choices, but anyway, <laughs> Samson ends up being imprisoned. You had also in the New Testament you're looking at Paul and Silas. Mm-hmm. They were imprisoned. You had Peter. Uh, in fact, in one passage in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter five, it talks about Peter and all the other apostles. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, sounds like a whole group of at least eleven of them were imprisoned there. You also had Paul. Uh, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And uh, what was his job right after the stoning of Stephen? Saul took it upon himself to go and get authorization to go round up people of the church, new believers, Christians. All right? The original Christians in term. And he goes and rounds them up and puts them into prison, men and women. All right? So you had not just Paul later on in his life, but you had the men and women who constituted or who were making up those early gatherings or assemblies that uh, were followers of Christ. You had John the Baptist was imprisoned and uh, you had jesus himself in prison Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that joseph's in good company it looks like in the category of people that have been imprisoned that we have is basically some of the heroes of our bible but here's one of the things i I want you to recognize and, and one of the challenges that we need to ask ourselves am i prepared to go to prison for christ because a lot of these people it wasn't for what they did that was wrong that they went to prison it was for what in god's eyes they did right If we are living along with the same standards, living for God, doing what's right, are we prepared if that costs us our freedom? Are we prepared to go to prison? We live in a society today where that's not really a concern, right? I mean, we look out the window and we're in, you know, Santa Ana, California. That's not a big issue for us. We're not concerned. In other countries, this would be a prisonable offense, you, you could be arrested and taken to prison if you had a Bible study, if you were discovered. All right? So there are people in this day and age, in different places in the world, that are having to ask that of themselves. Am I prepared to go to prison? Well, one of the seeds of application uh, right there, it's just a challenge for ourselves. It's the first one. Number one, I may have to suffer for being a follower of God. I may have to suffer for being a follower of God. And we all have to come to that realization that we may end up having to suffer for being a follower of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to read you some verses uh, out of this passage here, verses 12 through 19. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. What is he saying? He's saying the sufferings that they're going through, they're participating in sufferings that Christ participated in. All right? That you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And then he has a caution. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. What is he saying? He's saying, if you're going to go to prison for doing good, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what God would commend. But just being in prison doesn't get you commended in God's sight. All right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the reason for going to prison, the reason for being persecuted, the reason for suffering does make a difference. So here he's saying, you shouldn't be suffering. You shouldn't be arrested. You shouldn't be one of those people that's a thief or murderer. You know, you shouldn't be in that category. No, rather, you should be going to prison. If you're going to prison, hopefully, it's for the right reasons. The reasons are that you're doing the right thing, that you're glorifying God, that you're following God. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. That was a jailable offense. <laughs> a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And then it says something interesting here in verses 17 through 19. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And then verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. What is he saying there? Some people are in prison, are suffering according to the will of God. Have you ever thought about that? It might be God's will that you go to prison. <laughs> that helps us in this story. Is it God's will that Joseph be there imprisoned? We're going to find out, yes, it actually is. So what should be our attitude? What should our attitude be then? The same as Joseph's. Joseph goes into it and he maintains a positive attitude. He keeps his eyes on God, not on his circumstances. Verse 23. Somebody mind reading verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So, Thank you, Sherry here we have the fourth time in this verse right here the Lord was with him it's the fourth time that we've seen in Genesis chapter 39 that we're reminded that the Lord is with Joseph this is the fourth of those four times the other times that you find those are in verses 2 and 3 and then verses 21 and 23 the Lord was with him the Lord is with Joseph that seems to be the key as to his ability to keep a positive attitude while he's in prison, of all places, right? So God is with him. The Lord is with him. And uh, wouldn't that be enough for us? If that's enough for Joseph, shouldn't that be enough for us as well? That if we could just have some assurance that the Lord was with us, maybe that would help us through our difficult times. I want you to go to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the New Testament, first book of the New Testament, And go to Matthew, the very last verse. So you might as well turn to the book of Mark, right? (laughs) The very (laughs) last verse in the book of Matthew. Which chapter? It's going to be chapter 28 and verse 20. This is part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, you'll recognize, starts in verse 19. Actually, it starts in verse 18, where Jesus ends up saying to them, uh, in fact, I'll read 18 and 19. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20. What does he say in verse 20? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. Are you a follower of God? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, does the Great Commission still apply to you? Yes, it does. You're still to go and make disciples. If this still applies to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, and the Great Commission still applies to you, is he with you? Yes, he is. I am with you always. The same God that is standing and and being with Joseph in prison is the same God that would say to you, I am with you. And and he adds that extra word, always. I am with you always. That same God goes with you who went with Joseph. I am with you always. The Preacher's Outline Study Bible has this to say, and, and I love how it says this. Joseph was a prosperous and successful man. Because if you look at the end of that verse, what do you see? The Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. He's an inmate. <laughs> how, how can you be made to prosper? You're an inmate, right? So the preacher's outline study Bible says, Joseph was a prosperous and successful man. How can it be said that a slave is prosperous? A man who has nothing but chattel property, who has no rights of his own. The answer is so often missed. Prosperity and success do not depend upon circumstances, but upon character and and attitude let me read that last part again prosperity and success do not depend upon circumstances do not depend on circumstances but upon character and attitude i love how that brings that out because so often we let circumstances drown us and really what are we supposed to do we're supposed to rise above the circumstances the seed of application that i've got there for you the next one that you have uh, number two it says if you have everything but god you have nothing but if you have nothing but God, you have everything. That's the next one to fill in. (laughs) Esther guessed right. She's saying over there. (laughs) A little little holy gloating going on over there. (laughs) If you have everything but God, you have nothing, but if you have nothing but God, you have everything. say um, Say that again. No, the prosperity and success. Prosperity and success do not depend upon circumstances. but um, But upon character and attitude. And that's a quote, obviously, that I mentioned. It's not an original with me. It's from the Preacher's Outline Study Bible. And then I've also got down here a verse that, that's good to remind us all. of. How, how can this be possible? Give, give me one more passage how this can be possible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including be imprisoned. Joseph is in prison. All right? If I have to go down, down that pathway, if I have to walk in those footsteps, all right, um, I have the assurance. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1 it came to pass after these things we don't know how much time has gone by it could be a, a month a week a year it doesn't matter we don't know but somewhere in that 11 year period that we were talking about somewhere where he is like i said 28 years old in this it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the, the king of egypt what's another name for the king of egypt for Pharaoh. For Pharaoh. <laughs> there you go. Good job. Uh, that the baker and the butler for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, I want you to, I want you to notice here, it just says the baker and the butler, but the word that's actually used there is indicating the boss of the bakers and the boss of the butlers. And we'll see that more as we get on to the next verse. Uh, but here you have these people of great rank and importance, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Uh, it says the butler, he's not only the cupbearer, but overseer of the royal vineyards as well as the sellers, having probably some hundreds of people under him. And the baker or the cook had the superintendence of everything related to the providing and preparing of meats for the royal table. Both officers, especially the former, were in ancient Egypt always persons of great rank and importance. That's the key I want you to recognize right now. These two people that are in the jail, that are in the prison with Joseph, are people of great rank and importance. And from the confidential nature of their employment, as well as their access to the royal presence, they were generally the highest nobles or princes of the blood, all right? So these are people, if you've ever seen the the children's story, right, that has Joseph in prison, and then you see the baker on the blood, they're kind of goofy looking, you know, almost without without, uh, exception, they're kind of goofy looking figures, but no, these are, these are almost nobility. These are people of very high rank, very much trusted by Pharaoh. And you can see why. I mean, if one of them's in charge of what the Pharaoh's going to drink and the other one's in charge of what the Pharaoh's going to eat, he's trusting his life to these people. And they are in charge of everybody back behind the swinging door that's in the kitchen, right? So everything that comes out, these two are the ones in charge. If somebody's going to try to poison Pharaoh, <laughs> these two are going to be held accountable. One of these two or if not both. So what happens? We don't know. Somehow they offended their lord, the king. Somehow they offended Pharaoh. I don't know. Did Pharaoh go to bed one night and in the middle of the night go, I don't feel good? <laughs> was he in such physical pain that maybe he thought somebody was trying to poison them? That's a possibility. For some reason, the Pharaoh says, that guy in charge of all the people that have to do with the food and that guy in charge of all the people having to do with my drink, I don't feel good today. And those two put him in prison. So they're in prison now where Joseph is regarding what you see there in chapter 40 verse 1 where it says they offended their lord the king that word offended right there uh, new king james study bible has this and brings that uh, this part of it out the butler and the baker of the king were important offices in the royal court offended stands for the word ordinarily translated as sinned its principal meaning is to miss the mark but the nature of their offenses is not explained. So here you have kind of an interesting word that the word is being used as offended, but it also means sinned. What does that mean for us? Here's what I want to draw out from this. We've all sinned, right? The Bible says that for all have sinned. In fact, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, if you're filling in your blanks, Esther's filling in hers already. All have sinned, spiritually missed the mark. We've all sinned. Maybe we didn't try to poison the pharaoh, okay? But that's not necessary. Here's what I'm trying to say: We, in God's eyes, spiritually, somewhere along uh, somewhere along the way in our lives, if not every stinking day, because I'll raise my hand and say, I every day I fail God. In some way, somewhere, in some fashion, I fail God. Maybe it's something I say. Maybe it's something I think. Maybe it's something I do. I sin every day. I fail my Lord every day. I miss the mark every day. What does it look like to miss the mark? If you picture an archer and they've got that bullseye target, you know, pulling back and letting go of the arrow and it doesn't quite go in the center. They're not Robin Hood. They're going to miss the mark. All right. And so what does that look like spiritually? We, we fail. Somewhere or some along the way, we fail and we sin. We sin every day. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I almost can't give Romans 3.23, though, without giving the rest of the gospel message, right? Because that's bad news. If you leave it at that, you're just like, well, great. <laughs> great what happens now if i've sinned we've all sinned we've all fallen short we've all missed god's glory we've all fallen short of the glory of god romans six twenty three. anytime you hear romans three twenty three, you should probably tag onto it romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord all right there's your goodness all right so i'm just giving that additional part to you right now moving on to verse 2 and pharaoh was angry with the two officers the chief butler, and the chief baker. Here we have the phrases, chief butler, chief baker. Uh, Now you can start to see, oh, they're in charge of other people. Verse 3, so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Have we seen that phrase before, the captain Mm -hmm. of the guard? Turn to chapter 37, verse 36. Somebody mind reading chapter 37, verse 36? Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Oh, that's interesting. And who was who was it that was sold in that passage there? That was Joseph. When Joseph was sold as a slave in Egypt, he was sold to Potiphar, who's described as captain of the guard. Somebody read reading verse uh, chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar. An Egyptian who was once of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Israelites who had taken him there. Interesting. So here we have in chapter forty, verse three, that Pharaoh puts these two guys into custody in the house of the captain of the guard. It sounds like it sounds like they're in the house or in the custody in, in the same building or joined building as Pharaoh is. Hmm, that's interesting joseph was thrown into prison by potiphar and it sounds like maybe potiphar's kind of keeping him close maybe he's hoping to restore him someday we're reading between the lines i know that but i just throw that out there that's kind of interesting that it mentions captain the guard who so far that's described potiphar and then uh so joseph is confined in this place where these two high-ranking very important people are imprisoned here's what i want you to notice on your seat of application the next one that you have there God may have for you some divine appointments. God may send into your life people that he wants you to connect with, right? He wants you to to connect with. Here, this is obviously going on. Did God want Joseph in prison? Yes, It's God's will that Joseph is in prison right now. How do we have any sort of clue that that's the case? Because he's being put into connection with these two characters, with these two figures, these important officials in Pharaoh's court. So these two guys are put into the same place, the same prison that Joseph is confined in. Verse 4, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so that they were in custody for a while. Again, a time statement, um, we don't know how long this has been. But in verse 5, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. Now, I want to say here, this last part where it uses the word interpretation, this is the first time this Hebrew word appears in our Bibles, having to do with interpretation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. This is going to be a little bit of a cliffhanger in that sense. But they both end up having a dream. In the Bible, it's not uncommon to run across people who look to dreams as a way of God communicating to them. All right. In fact, you have Daniel. A significant part of the book of Daniel is Daniel providing interpretations for dreams that change the course of history of, the, of what we have in the Bible. What I want to say now, though, is if you look at Hebrews, the way that the book of Hebrews opens up, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this, God, who at various times and in various ways, I would submit to you, including dreams... God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Don't put a whole lot of effort in trying to get a dream from God. Don't put a whole lot of effort in trying to interpret a dream you had last night as, God, what are you trying to say to me? Okay? Because what that means is, here's what you need for God to guide you. The Holy Spirit and His Holy Word are the things that you need to guide you. Don't look for dreams to be your guides. Don't look for dreams to supersede God's Word. We had somebody in our church, and uh, I had a dream that I'm supposed to leave my wife, and I'm supposed to marry this other girl who's very fine. You know, And it's like, no, that that is not God speaking to you. Oh, yeah, I'm sure God was trying to tell me that that's what I'm supposed to No, he's not. <laughs> Dreams will never contradict God's word. If it's a dream from God, it will never contradict God's word. If you have a dream that contradicts God's word, then it's not a dream from God. All right? So that's one of your next things to fill in. Dreams from God will not contradict his word. And I and I would even say don't even look for a dream from God. Don't look for God to visit you in the night and to change your thoughts on something and to direct you through dreams. No, he provides guidance and counsel here. Look to God's word, not for dreams. Preacher's Outline Study Bible says this, God has used dreams in the lives of people, but not often believers are not therefore to be seeking dreams from god nor seeking to find guidance and strength in their dreams god has given us his word the holy bible and scripture and his precious holy spirit to guide and strengthen us they are our guide not dreams nor anything else in fact believers need no guidance or strength other than that of god's spirit and god's word what more could we ever desire or need than god himself and his word and then verse 6 here genesis chapter 40 verse 6 Somebody mind reading that one? Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. He saw that they were sad. Victor B. Hamilton says regarding this verse, they are more disturbed by their dreams than they are by their incarceration. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, See of application there. Here's what I want to say. Stay sensitive to the hurts of others. Mm -hmm. Joseph's in prison, and he had all the reason in the world to say, oh, woe is me, pity party, boo-hoo, and you would miss that somebody else is hurting. You would miss that somebody else is in need. You would miss maybe that somebody else is set there by God as a divine appointment for you. And then what do we see in verse 7? Somebody might read in verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Why do you look so sad today? Not only does he notice that they're sad, he actually confronts them on it. He talks to them about it. He invites conversation. Um, Galatians chapter six, verse two says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So to see the application here, bear one another's burdens. The uh, preacher's commentary says, apparently it had not occurred to Joseph that some people find being in prison, an adequate reason for sadness. (laughs) He's like, why are you guys sad? Like being in prison is not enough. (laughs) All right. Mm -hmm. He recognized that something was different on this day. He recognized that they were in a condition or a state that wasn't the same as he had seen in them the day before that. No matter how bad our circumstances are, this is from the Preacher's Outline Study Bible, no matter how bad our circumstances are, God wants us to learn from them. He wants us to learn to care for others and to be kind to them even while we are suffering and hurting. Did you know you can be a minister even while you are suffering and hurting? We feel like when we're suffering and we're hurting, oh, I just need somebody to minister to me. And not to take away that maybe that is a need that you do have, but it doesn't mean that you can't minister to others at the same time even while we are suffering and hurting. We are to be concerned for others even while we are suffering and walking through the trials of life. Bear one another's burdens. That's the one that we've just filled in. And then the first half of verse 8, and they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. You see, back then in Pharaoh's court, you had professionals, people that were paid to provide interpretations for dreams, but they're cut off from them. They're in prison. Now they're thinking, oh dear, I've had a dream and I, I, I don't know how to find out what the dream means because they read so much into dreams. In fact, the Egyptians and the Babylonians, they had books on how to interpret dreams. If you dream about this, then that means this. If you dream about that or this element or that, you know, these all have these are all symbols and they all have correlations in real life. And you could go to the book and you could try to interpret your dream by, look up, oh, let's see, bird, okay, look up, all right, was it, say, vine? Okay, was it, look up, uh, look up rock? You know, whatever symbol appeared in your dream, you could look into the books. And the people that held the books were paid well for their services to interpret the dreams. But here, oh dear, they don't have an interpreter. I wonder how this is going to turn out. Let's close the prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we don't have to wonder each night if you're going to speak to us through a dream. But rather, we have every minute of the day readily accessible to us your word. And we have every minute of the day your spirit ministering to us, leading us and guiding us in all truth. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to avail ourselves of this precious treasure that we have so readily accessible your holy word, help us, Lord, not to look to tarot cards or strange uh, incantations or strange um, patterns or practices of the occult. Help us not to look to dreams, but to look to Your word, Lord, that You've laid it out there for us. Go with us now. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hi, All right, you guys have a wonderful.